0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik.
1: Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. This is the May 24th, 2022 podcast. Welcome to episode two of a two-part series for historic tax credit developers. Last week, we had a great discussion about what developers need to know about the substantial rehabilitation test. In a nutshell, to qualify for the historic tax credit, an historic rehabilitation project must undergo a substantial rehabilitation. That generally means that the qualified rehabilitation expenditures have to exceed the adjusted basis of the building being renovated. Now, if you missed last week's episode, please be sure to check it out. We went into more detail as to how to meet this substantial rehabilitation test and how to avoid common pitfalls. I'll include a link to the episode in today's show notes. Now, our episode this week picks up where last week's episode left off. We take a deeper dive into the definition of qualified rehabilitation expenditures or the QRE portion of the substantial rehabilitation test. Now, the definition of QREs is important, not just for purposes of satisfying the substantial rehabilitation test. The amount of QREs or qualified rehabilitation expenditures determines the amount of historic tax credits a project is eligible for. In short, every additional dollar of QREs means 20 cents more in tax credits, which translates into more tax credit equity. Now, this podcast will address several questions, namely, what costs qualify as QREs, what costs do not qualify as QREs, and we'll also cover some commonly overlooked eligible costs, costs that are often overlooked even by experienced historic tax credit developers. But before we start, I do want to note and emphasize that the historic tax credit is a buy right credit as opposed to an allocated credit. Now, many of our listeners may be familiar with the low-income housing tax credit and new markets tax credit. Both of these are generally speaking, allocated tax credits with a finite amount authorized each year. As a result, developers, project sponsors, and community development entities generally have to compete for the right to claim or benefit from those tax credits. Now, by contrast, the historic tax credit is a non-competitive by right credit, similar to a renewable energy investment tax credit. This means that if your project meets the program requirements, you can claim the tax credit on your eligible costs. Now there are certification requirements for the historic tax credit that do involve the national park service and state historic preservation offices. But there's not a formal or informal competition for tax credits or tax credit financing. Now, joining me in this episode is my partner, Tom Fent of Novogratix Dover, Ohio office. Tom has extensive experience providing tax audit and consulting services to clients working with federal tax incentives, including opportunity zones, new markets, tax credits, renewable energy tax credits, and of course, historic tax credits. Tom is a frequent speaker at Novogratic and other industry conferences and seminars. So we're very fortunate to have him on the show today to share his insights. If you're ready, let's get started. Tom, welcome to Tashra Tuesday.
0: Hi, Mike. Thanks for uh, letting me be, be a part of this episode.
1: Well, it's glad to have you on. I believe it's your first time, correct? That is correct. Okay. Well, hopefully it won't be your last. So Tom, The historic tax credit is used by developers of historic properties, as you know, of course, to raise equity capital, to finance the renovation of existing notable older buildings. As I mentioned in my introduction, the historic tax credit isn't as of right credit, which means there's no allocating agency to monitor or confirm the amount of tax credits that the developer qualified for. You know, that said, investors in tax credits want some type of independent confirmation of the amount of the tax credits that are being claimed. As such, investors generally require a cost certification. So Tom, maybe you could unpack that a little bit and share your thoughts as to why investors will require a cost certification and what that process involves. Sure, Mike.
0: So as you mentioned, there is no formal process in place to submit a cost certification, and there's no oversight of the amount of credits being claimed. So there is a risk that the RS could disallow some of these credits. So the investor members uh, at the time they're closing the deal typically want to see financial projections as part of the process. They'll also include in the operating agreements language that specifies the use of an accountant approved by the investor member to complete the cost certification process to provide better assurance that the costs being claimed are
1: qualified. So thank you for that. And it is a critical component because you do obviously have the oversight by the IRS risk could audit a development and disallow some of the costs. That's what the investors want to avoid. And that's the same true with other types of tax credits and the cost certification is, it gives the investors some comfort that the credits that are being claimed are the project is eligible for those credits. So let's talk about the important definition of qualified rehabilitation expenditure. And as I mentioned in the intro. The Qualified Rehabilitation Expenditure, or the QRE, is the foundation of calculating the amount of tax credits. It's a simple calculation. Just take your QREs times 20%, and that's the amount of credits that you're eligible for. So maybe you could def- define for our listeners what qualifies as a Qualified Rehabilitation Expenditure.
0: Sure. So, so QREs are, are defined as any amount properly chargeable to a capital account for property for which depreciation is allowable under IRC section 168 and which is or is added to non-residential real property, residential rental property, real property which has a class life of more than 12 and a half years and in connection with the rehabilitation of a qualified
1: rehabilitated building. So maybe you could uh, unpack that a little bit more in terms of capitalized to the building but not capitalized to say personal property
0: that's correct personal property is not included in the definition of a qre typically the the common types of items are structural components walls partitions floors windows doors plumbing fixtures electric electrical wiring things of that nature base
1: that basically gets capitalized and depreciated along a, it's it's depreciated over the life of the building, albeit a separate asset from the, from the underlying acquisition of the building.
0: Correct. And, and, and you can also look at what we call hard costs, which are the things I just previously mentioned, as well as soft costs, which are more of the architect and engineering fees, other types of fees, insurance, real estate taxes, things like that during the construction process.
1: So as you kind of go through and you're, when you're working on, cost certifications, or maybe perhaps more appropriately when you're doing the initial review, when you're helping a client with a financial forecast in advance of beginning renovation, are there some commonly overlooked costs? You know, various expenditures where, you know, a developer even experienced historical developer might think doesn't qualify as QREs?
0: Yeah, in in my experience, I've run across situations uh, where developers sometimes miss the the costs related to the operation and maintenance of a building. Those types of costs can be overlooked. This sometimes includes utility connections that take place outside of a building or structures built to protect those utilities. For example, freestanding air conditioning units um, and, and things of that nature. Also, certain landscaping costs, which site work typically isn't, a qualified rehabilitation expenditure, but certain landscaping costs designed to protect the building may also be eligible as well.
1: Now let's talk about the flip side of that question. You know, what are the costs that are not eligible for, for, for tax credits that don't qualify as cures? I mentioned earlier personal property, because obviously the personal property isn't part of the building and. They're giving you a credit for renovating the building, not for buying personal property to put in the building. <laughs> so that's one cost that doesn't get included. But maybe you can talk about some other costs that that many developers may not be aware of, don't get included.
0: Yeah. So, so some of the general ones that, that that are common are any type of costs that add to the existing footprint of the building. If you're going outside the original envelope, th- those types of costs are not eligible. But certain things that, that might get missed with, that people think are eligible usually resolve around some of those non-tangible soft costs I mentioned, architect and engineering fees, real estate taxes, insurance, and other fees. I've had some developers assume that all loan fees, for example, are QREs. Loan fees include bank fees, attorney's fees, and other costs associated with obtaining a loan. The loan fees related to a construction loan are not direct QREs. Rather, they're set up as a separate amortizable asset that's amortized over the life of the loan. It's the amortized portion of that loan that is capitalized to the cost of the construction. So if a loan maturity extends past the placed in service state of the qualified building, or in the case of a permanent loan, where the loan term doesn't begin until after the building's placed in service, that portion of the loan fee amortization that is incurred is expensed and not capitalized. Therefore, things like that would not be included as a QRE.
1: So when you're going through and working on a projection, then do you find that you're basically looking at all your hard costs, and looking at the hard costs, finding those that qualify and those that don't, and then once you do that, then look at all the soft costs, and then figure out how those soft costs get apportioned among your various hard costs, or get expense or other otherwise amortized, and then some subset of the soft costs end up making their way into the uh, capitalized to the building and end up helping as securities.
0: That's correct. We, we we typically try and look at all the costs being incurred related to the, the development of, of that building and determine what uh, is or isn't included.
1: Yeah. It's almost like there's that, it's almost like a step function. <laughs> where correct. you start with with what, what you know, what you know is in and what you know isn't in. And then when you start getting to the soft cost, you have a series of allocations that uh, have to be done. That's so, right. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Do you want to say something else?
0: Yeah, no, I was just going to mention, even in a situation like a developer fee, we dig into those agreements. And if, you know, services that are being included in a development agreement, such as obtaining financing or accounting services, um, you know, the, the portion of the developer fee is usually carved out for those types of services. And we'll look at that to to help ensure the integrity of, of the costs.
1: So anyway, you were preparing for this podcast. We talked about the IRS now in April, just last month, they published some clarifying guidance on the IRS website as to what costs generally qualify as QREs. And then they also listed costs that generally do not qualify as QREs. And then they had a list of costs that qualify as QREs under certain circumstances. So basically those bu- the bucket of in, the bucket of out, and the bucket of maybe. Uh, was there any that guidance that stood out to you?
0: So it, it, a lot of what was there w- were things that, that you, we in the industry already know, but the guidance that you're referring to was expanded to include detailed information about costs associated with flood ad- adaptation. Additionally, the, this clarif- clarifying guidance included costs related to solar panels, wind turbines, and geothermal systems, which are generally a five-year property under section 168. This guidance specifically noted that these costs are not included in the base of the building and should not qualify for the rehabilitation credit. And it also stated that the same property that is used to claim a rehabilitation credit cannot also be used to claim an energy credit.
1: Right, as you said, you're still confirming a lot of what we already knew. But it, I would encourage listeners to review the guidance and we'll put a link to it in today's show notes, because I do think it's a good refresher just to kind of walk through and, and look at the categories of the IRS that it calls out. So Tom, in last week's episode, and um, I discussed what developers needed to know about the substantial rehabilitation test when they're buying a historic of property. And we also focused on. What they need to know when they're buying an historic property from an owner who has rehabilitation work in process, and in that scenario, there's a step into the shoe, shoes rule. that can help a acquire the building generate more QREs. Could you explain that to our listeners?
0: Sure. So, so if you if you're a taxpayer or or a buyer who purchases a building from another taxpayer who incurred QREs prior to that acquisition. Uh, the the buyer can claim the previous owner's QREs as part of their overall HTC basis, as long as the rehabilitation expenditures incurred by the previous owner were not placed in service. Uh, As you and Roy discussed last week, the costs must still meet the measuring period rules and are included in the substantial rehabilitation computation. But in general, the buyer shall be treated as having incurred the QREs incurred by the seller on the date that the transferor incurred the expenditure so if the previous owner did not did place the rehabilitation in service the purchase of the property is characterized as an acquisition cost and would be ineligible for inclusion as a qre
1: and how often do you see buyers avail themselves of this opportunity Are you going to say a lot often not very often not as often as they could
0: I I would probably lean to maybe not as often as they could. Sometimes those buyers just lump all of that into the acquisition costs, but not realizing that some of that work may have previously been completed.
1: So maybe that brings me to my next question because that's probably the situation when they reach out to you after they've negotiated the purchase agreement and did like to carve out a portion of the purchase agreement to be stepping into the shoes of the QREs. So my next question is, if I'm a developer and I'm assessing the feasibility of renovating a store, possibly a store a cash for a property, when should I call you?
0: It's a good question. And, and, and ideally, ideally, I would say you'd want to reach out once you have a project site in mind uh, and before speaking with an investor. So we at Novogratic can assist with preparing financial models, as mentioned, that will provide a good estimate of the QREs and the HTCs to be claimed, which, as we mentioned, an investor is most likely going to request anyway. So if you're you're starting to run the numbers behind the sources and uses of a project, that's a good time to call. If you're already past that point, though, and you're in the process of negotiating with an investor, or you've even closed a deal at that point, it's still always a positive thing to call us because we can assist you with the process of preparing the cost certification to help maximize those credits.
1: And as you noted earlier, obviously, if you haven't you know, finalized negotiation for the purchase price of the building, <laughs> you know, reaching out to us and working with the seller of the building to see if they have any progress expenditures that you can step in the shoes of that can add to the uh, quality of rehabilitation expenditures. And then maybe you could say something about the importance of having a good estimate of historic tax credits with the investor. We initially negotiate with the investor and how, you know, you won't actually know what your historic tax credits are because you know, no budget The only thing you know about a budget is that's not what's going to happen. You hope (laughs) that you have sufficient contingency that it comes at a a lower cost. Oftentimes it comes in at a higher cost and your rehabilitation, your actual tax credits are going to be a function of which you actually spend the dollars on. So there will be some variability in the amount of credits that you ultimately claim versus what you project. So can you say something about what the investors generally provide for in terms of adjusters?
0: So typically investors will include adjusters in their operating agreements as far as what the credits are. And uh, those can be upward or downward adjusters. The downward adjusters are typically looked at like a penalty uh, if you don't reach a thir- certain threshold uh, as to where the credits fall out to be. The up- in the upward adjusters will usually be capped to a certain dollar amount so if if you have go well over budget and incur a lot more QRE expenses, they only pay up to a certain point.
1: And I'd like to point out the adjuster factor because it just shows you how important it is to have a really good estimate of historic tax credits. You don't wanna end up so short that you have so many more historic tax credits that the cap on the adjuster kicks in such that you're sharing additional historic tax credits not getting more equity. <laughs> And then similarly, you don't want to go in promising a certain amount of historic tax credits and then find you don't deliver. So you get a downward adjuster and then you lose that tax credit equity. And now your project isn't as financially viable as it would have been. It's just as a, you know, it's an indirect way or direct way of saying you want to have really good estimate (laughs) uh, to begin with, and you want to make sure that you understand the adjuster provisions and how they work operationally from the financing of your development. Once again, that's what all of that gets dealt with in the financial modeling and you can run stress tests uh, and the rest. So Tom, I want to thank you for joining me in the podcast. I'm sure our listeners will want to reach out to you with their specific questions. So if you could share your email address and I'll also uh, include it in today's show notes.
0: Sure, you can reach me at any time at tom.fanton at com, and that is spelled out T O M dot F-A-N-T-I-N at N-O-V-O-C-O dot com.
1: And that's, that'll be posted also, as I mentioned, in our show notes at www.novaco.com slash pod. Now to our listeners, and you'd hang around, Tom, I have some off-mic questions for you in a moment, <laughs> which is <laughs> always a fun part of the podcast. But to our listeners, please be sure to tune into next week's episode of Prep Tuesday. Next week's episode is going to focus on new market tax credits and a particular sort of structuring opportunity. My partner, Brian Hung, and I will discuss what is really underutilized. Uh, and it's a really beneficial way to qualify a business for new market tax credit financing and to serve low-income households, families, and persons, even when a business is not located in an eligible census tract. The technique you might've guessed is using targeted populations. And I would note that even if your business is in an eligible census track, such that you might think targeted populations isn't something you need to be focused on, that track that you're in may not be sufficiently distressed to attract new market tax credit subsidized financing. Whereas a targeted populations approach may enable your business or nonprofit to serve more highly distressed persons and families and thereby attract new market tax credit financing. So please tune in next week to find out how to avail yourself of this tool or this option. You can make sure that you're notified of that episode and each week's episode by following or subscribing to the Task for Tuesday podcast. Go to www.novaco.com slash podcast to subscribe to and stream the show on our website. You can also follow or subscribe to Task for Tuesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Radio Public. Now I'm pleased to reach our off mic section where listeners get some off topic advice and words of wisdom from our podcast guests. Since this, Since this is part two of our historic cash credit developer series, I'm going to start by asking Tom the same questions that I asked Roy last week. So I'm looking forward to your answers, Tom. So the first question, and these aren't coming as a surprise to you because you listened to last week's podcast. (laughs) That's correct. So what's the best career advice you've ever got?
0: So I, I think for me, I had a mentor once tell me to, to not accept no to a question that I have if it hinders me from reaching my goals. You know, they explain to me to understand why I received that response in the first place and adjust my timing of the question or, or the strategy uh, about how I develop that question to achieve
1: my desired results. So can you give an example of how you put it in practice?
0: Yeah. A real good examples, uh, you know, trying to, trying to get new business. You know, if, if you inquire somebody, you know, that, Hey, I want to work with you and uh, I think we can provide the services for you. And they say, no, sometimes it's just about timing, you know, uh, maybe for them, it's not the right timing to, no. to switch firms and things like that, but, you know, keep your perseverance up and keep keep fresh in those people's heads.
1: Yeah. Uh, next, uh, you know, it's a popular topic uh, on this podcast. What's your favorite work life balance tip?
0: So probably an answer you get a lot, but, but I may have to agree with it, is to find an activity or a hobby to help take, take your mind away from, from work and, and just reset now and then, you know, whether it's reading, exercising, as Rory mentioned last week, cooking or anything else that, that can kind of give you a break from, from the day-to-day nuances and, and things we deal with at work. It's important to take time for those activities as well.
1: So they mentioned cooking from last week's podcast. So... The last week I asked Roy, what's a skill or talent most people don't know you have and how you develop that skill or talent? And Roy did say uh, that he was a great chef. And obviously now, not only I, but many others are asking him to cook for them. <laughs> so I'll ask you the same question, but be careful. It might lead people to ask you.
0: <laughs> I, I understood. And, and and cooking is not my forte, but um, pro- probably one of the skills I have that a lot of people don't know is is I play the guitar. Um, actually in a prior life I was in a band that Cleveland Magazine here in Ohio had named the best bar band in Northeast Ohio at one time so uh, I developed that skill through as mentioning in my my previous comment um, just taking some time for that work-life balance but to this point I've been playing guitar for for almost 35 years and just use that as a as a good break so maybe I can provide some musical entertainment while Roy Cook's cooks a dinner <laughs>
1: <laughs> and what was the name of that
0: the band at that time was called the knockoffs
1: got it got it that sounds like a, a good bar band name right <laughs> and so is that i presume that was electric guitar do you play good acoustic guitar now or
0: yeah that, that was electric guitar i'm actually in uh, a band now just a, a small downsize acoustic thing that i play acoustic guitar in as well and just do that on on some weekends now and then as well <laughs>
1: And then what, what type of music is your, you have a certain type of music that you like?
0: To- yes. So, so our genre really focuses on what I would say is the the eighties and nineties kind of pop alternative scene, but, but on an acoustic level.
1: Got it. Well, that's great. It was uh, good to hear those ideas and learn a little bit more about you. So thank you again, Tom and to our listeners. I'm Mike Novigradic. Thanks for listening.